Hello everyone uh, and a welcome to the Six Yards podcast. If you are listening to us for the first time, we are six mad football fans who discuss, debate, analyze and give your opinions on everything related to football, especially the Premier League and its uh, top six. The football season of 2020-21 is uh, well and truly underway with leagues uh, across Europe all gathering pace. The Premier League is four uh, game weeks old now, in the middle of an international break. And what a crazy ride it has been. Uh, lots of goals, shocking results, some weird drama, handball controversies, and much more. In the midst of all that, the summer transfer window, with its deadline day drama, just got concluded. And in our special episode today, we will look into that concluded transfer window for the big guns of Premier League and try to get a sense of what went down and whether it was a disaster or everything was just about perfect. We will also be shifting our focus to Europe, that is the Champions League, uh, the Europa, with games starting in just about 10 to 12 a day's time. The groups have already been announced and we will talk about the hopes, aspirations and what to expect from some of the major teams uh, in the Premier League. And last but not the least, we will uh, talk about a couple of uh, teams in the Premier League who we think can create quite a bit of stir this season. Everton, can they be the dark horses and create havoc amongst the traditional top six? And Leicester, whether a repeat of their dream 2016 title winning run is actually possible again. To discuss all that uh, on the show today, I would like to welcome Obro, uh, Naveen, Sushant, Manan, KV uh, and Supreet and uh, my name is Shine. I will be your host and moderator for the day. Right then, as promised, we will start off with the transfer window and uh, with uh, Liverpool, uh, the last season's uh, champions. Uh, welcome, Obro. Uh, welcome to the Six Yards podcast. Yeah, hi, Shine. So, Obro, uh, till almost last week before that uh, shocking 7-2 result against Aston Villa. It was all business as usual, nothing to worry about. But, uh, you know, after that result, some whispers uh, around the football pundits and everyone that there is something wrong with that back line of Liverpool's and everything is not as rosy as it seems. Uh, so, in light of that, uh, how did you see the transfer market? Uh, should Liverpool have gone for maybe a defender and uh, what can we expect in maybe two months' time? Right. Yeah. So you know, in these days, with all the social media and Twitter and everything, you know, a team loses one match and it's like one hell has broken loose. So yeah. Right. So the team, uh, team defense line, uh, you know, has been winning consistently, right? And the and the success of Liverpool has been built on their defense. And is that popular saying that, you know, forwards can win you matches, but it's the defense uh, which uh, wins you tournaments. So, you know, the, the success of Liverpool has been built on the same defense. But yes, uh, of course, the last match has been an eye-opener, especially given the case that uh, both Joel Matip and Gomez has been so injury-prone. They have not had a sustained run in the team uh, and has always... You know, some niggle, some uh, some pull, something or the other has always cropped up and which has uh, prevented their continued run along with Van Dyke. Van Dyke has been there like a 
uh, like a rock. Like I don't think he has missed a single game over the last two and a half seasons, a single Premier League game at least. Right? So uh, there has been a little bit of dip in his form as well. But you know that is, I mean, proving that he is also human. I am sure uh, he will come back uh, of that, and especially after the defeat, everyone will be reinvigorated to prove that you know it is is just a blip, and it it's not uh, something that has gone wrong entirely. And uh, yeah, so uh, it would have been better if we had gotten a, a maybe a, a backup defender, especially we had let go of uh, Dejan Lovren. However erratic he had been, but he was still a, a successful defender or a so-called successful defender at least with his national team and in the Premier League as well. Right in in his day, he has been quite good, not on a consistent basis. But yes, and we let go of Kiyana over also to Wolves, right? So who was the who was kind of the fourth choice defender? So yeah, beyond these two, I think Klopp is uh, depending on Fabinho to come come on and cover. Uh, given uh, we have a bit of uh, you know luxury in the midfield now, but most of them also are injured, right? So yeah, so I think that is what they're looking for. A defender would have been nice, but uh, hopefully Matip uh, you know will come back from his from his injury and get a sustained run. So last year he started brilliantly, and I think he got a player of the season, Premier League player of the season, also for the first or the second month. But then he got injured, and he hardly played throughout the, uh, you know, for the entirety of the season. So I really do hope he comes back strong. And uh, Gomez, he of course uh, has been performing well. He's a young player. He, yeah, I mean, it's it's also the system that needs to be looked at, not not just point pointing fin- fingers at individuals with the high backline and everything. So I think uh, things will be ironed out, and uh, if not over the two months, then probably you know I. Don't think Klopp is not uh, too much inclined to get people in on January, but you know if it something is like really going wrong, then they might uh, look to dip into the transfer market again. Uh, on the other side, which is the more worrying area, is the backup goalkeeper. Yeah, so I think that is the more worrying area than than the actual uh, the defense line because Adrian, after his initial you know after his initial success, does look. Uh, uh, mostly, you know, like a fish out of water in in many of the cases, and it's clearly not suitable to the way that Liverpool plays with playing uh, playing it back to the goalkeeper, and he gets flustered and he commits those mistakes. And so there is always a mistake that is that is there in in him. So I think that is an area that Liverpool would like to address uh, much quicker than getting a new defender. Right, oh, bro. Um... And talking from defense to the midfield, Thiago Alcantara from Spain is already being touted as the most significant transfer acquisition in this market. Your your general thoughts about him? Is he going to be the star-studded acquisition that Liverpool has hoped for? And what does he bring to the table? Yes, I, I definitely do hope right, he lives up to the, to the expectations, right, the huge expectation that has come with him. He has been successful in two of the world's biggest clubs, right? So there is no reason that he will not be successful in Premier League. So, uh, yeah, he, he does bring a lot of uh, trickery, a lot of uh, confidence also uh, along with him, right? In the midfield and probably take the team forward, right? And bring in different styles of play with him. Uh, 
uh, you know building building from the defense uh, you know those uh, passes which can really help the speedy forwards that mani and salah is right so uh, liverpool uh, for at least for the last couple of years uh, had looked to create from the two uh, two of our flying uh, flying backs right to flying wing back with uh, trent and robo but uh, teams are figuring that out right and they are like uh, they are creating problems they marking them out and especially when teams sit back is really diff- uh, impossible it's, uh, at least in the last season we have seen that in couple of cases it was really impossible to break them down so i think thiago uh, comes in there you know brings in that little bit of creativity which liverpool probably was missing in their midfield which was more industrious than creative so i think yeah that's the x factor that he brings in hopefully he remains fit he also is known to be quite injury prone so hopefully he remains fit and he develops that partnership with the midfield players uh, beat anderson or kita or vinaldo uh, right there that uh, at least vinaldo is with the club for another year uh, you know i am is all the speculation so hopefully he, he he is able to deliver on that promise uh, uh, that huge promise that he comes with great uh, bro um a little uh, you know small point on uh, bobby firmino Uh, and i remember uh, kv mentioning it on one of our previous episodes uh, how the acquisition of uh, diego jota just absolutely went under the radar now uh, bobby firmino has always been an integral part of that forward line of liverpool's but if you look at his uh, overall statistics maybe the uh, you know passes and uh, assists and all are helping quite a bit but he hasn't actually scored a goal in a long long time so how do you see that playing forward in this season uh, was jota uh, brought in specifically you know keeping that in mind do you see a much bigger role for jota in the forward line or how, how is it going to be so i think uh, specifically for jota is more more of a player on mane's side and you know minamino is more a like to like player for firmino I think yeah, I mean definitely Firmino's form has gone down a little bit, right? And with him providing all the assists, I think you know the every time he gets the ball, he looks uh, looks up at Salah or Mane, whom to pass rather than trying to score. I think that itself has become a problem where you know he has uh, he always takes that extra touch where he could have you know had a shot at the goal. So even 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 in the last match, Aston Villa match, I think Salah provided one piece of a assist to him, and where he missed, right? So and it was I think we were two two at that time or two one at that time. So uh, if uh, yeah two one at that time, if he would if we, he would have scored, maybe we would have seen a different match. It's a definitely it is a little bit of worry uh, for Firmino, though he is not known as the forward who who you know go ahead and score a lot of goals. He's more about providing. uh you know tracking back providing those passes breaking up the opposition uh, you know build ups at at the at the far end of the pitch uh, and you know providing those fast passes to mane and salah but yes it does impact right so when 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 your forward line is not scoring uh, at least uh, you know he needs obviously he needs to contribute in in the goals as well that does create a difference right otherwise uh, there there is definitely a gap i think minamino he has been in quite good form uh, uh, from the pre-season uh, it took uh, some time for him to find his position to settle down at liverpool uh, once he came in but i think he has started to find his feet he has been excellent in in the cup games that he has played 
I think he will get a run, uh, maybe you know, in place of Firmino. Uh, if not, uh, if not in the starting lineup, then definitely in the form of uh, sub appearances. And if he is able to create an impact from the sub, then uh, you never know, right? So you, he might get a continued run in the team. Right. Thanks, Abro. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, don't go away. I'll come back to you in a few minutes' time for the your Merseyside rivals uh, Everton when we'll be discussing about them. Sure, sure. From Liverpool, we move to the blue streets of uh, Manchester and we are going to talk about Manchester City uh, with uh, Naveen. Uh, Naveen, hi uh, and welcome to the show. Hi, Shane. Uh, so, uh, Naveen, uh, you know, a lot of peer players being brought again and a couple of interesting uh, signings uh, and then people going out. Your, your general thoughts on the city's uh, summer transfer market? Yeah, so I would say it was a pretty decent transfer market for City. Uh, considering one of the main reasons is Ruben Diaz. I mean, he's just not another centre back we were looking at. Uh, we were looking at Koulibaly initially, that didn't happen. But I have right. no... Uh, you know, uh, sad news or anything that Diaz is in because he's expe- he's expected to play the role company played at the club. Uh, he brings that mentality and leadership to the back four. And uh, his partnership with Laporte will be something really to look forward to because the match they played against Leeds, they looked uh, quite decent even though it was uh, Ruben's first match. And yeah, though he was a bit costly, but it could turn out to be a great investment because he's just 23. I mean, he's younger than Ake. He's also younger than Laporte. So, I think that's a great age for a centre-back to come to a club. And I think he signed a five-year contract. So, really looking forward to him. So, yeah, then we had Ake also from Bournemouth. And I think he shouldn't have cost 40 million. I mean, according to me, the best price for him yeah. would have been around 20-25 right. million. But then... He's a pretty decent centre-back and he's also a bit flexible with his playing positions. And currently, we have this issue of a left-back. So, yeah. I think that will help. He could occasionally play left-back too. He was subs- I mean, he was brought in in place of Mendy in the Leeds game. So, right. I see him playing, red, playing that role more often. And if he's able to, you know, uh, cover up uh, Mendy's mistakes, kind of. So, why not? I mean, again, a good uh, signing, according to me. Right. Uh, interesting you, you know, brought about Mendy and I was just going to uh, talk about that. Uh, you know, Benjamin Mendy, 50 million uh, bought by uh, Pep in 2017 from Monaco. Uh, you know, he has his good games, but then he has his fair share of mistakes and those mistakes get highlighted a lot. So, you know, what do you think about Benjamin Mendy on that left-hand side? Do you think Pep is going to get frustrated by his no-shows from time to time? And, uh, you know, he spent a lot of his of Manchester City's uh, money on that defensive line. And you, you think uh, in just two months' time with the January transfer window coming up, he's going to again looking at that situation. I know you mentioned about Ake. But do you think he's again going to go to the market for another defensive reinforcement? So, Mendy, according to me, has been saved and is still starting for City because he has had a lot of injuries. He has never had a huge 
consistent run of matches and that is still working in favor of him but the way he has started this season if he continues playing in the same manner within a couple of months and definitely uh, by the end of the season he would be down the pecking order uh maybe okay maybe a new left back uh, tagliafico we were aiming at in uh, during the end of this right. uh, transfer window uh, maybe right. they right. could take his place if he doesn't click this season i don't see him starting very often for city again so very critical season for mendy if he stays fit and still doesn't click he's in a lot of trouble you know coming from the uh, defense to a little bit on the midfield uh, you know ferran torres he has been signed from valencia and one of the interesting people to go out was uh, you know silva uh, david silva and uh, phil foden has been touted as uh, the next uh, player to fill his shoes your your opinions on these two players and what can manchester city fans look forward to correct uh, torres especially is an exceptional buy considering he is really fast and he's just 20 and also once he gets going it will be very interesting to watch him because uh, he can easily cause some troubles on the opponent's left flank we saw him doing the same against burnley in the league cup and he was starting to get in his groove even against leeds so yeah. give him some time considering his age and he has just entered the pep setup for in city at city so yeah really looking forward to him and foden again very young he's 19 only i guess and he has shown a lot of glimpses and his uh, instinct to attack and uh, you know uh, find out open spaces to score so of course silva cannot be completely replaced but i don't see a reason why foden does not play every match this season and he will definitely add to the already attacking midfield of city right absolutely correct I, i i guess i think phil foden has a very interesting and important season coming up for him uh, at manchester city i think pep uh, really loves him and sees him in that kind of a, a role for city down the line uh, yes. lovely uh, lovely navin uh, <laughs> coming from the usual settings uh, to something that i think uh, all football fans were looking forward to in the transfer window the uh, transfer or should i say the potential incoming of uh, lionel messi to manchester city from uh, barcelona uh, it eventually did not happen and the entire saga with uh, barcelona took place uh, in the last couple of days there have been few comments from i think the manchester city ceo that they are maybe you know in a great financial position to get him uh, Man- uh, lionel messi also i think he's uh, free to sign a contract Uh, when january uh, comes upon us uh, so how do you think this is going to uh, play out do you think football fans uh, will be entertained with uh, messi in the premier league yeah so firstly i don't think so any club and especially city have ever come this close to signing messi i mean the fact that he had the fact that he eventually issued a statement saying that you know he was staying at barcelona for one more year and he wanted to leave and whatever the financial conditions did not allow him to so right. that shows that it was just not any other rumor like every season and we were very close now one more reason what the signing will depend on 
is pep staying at city or no he Absolutely. is also coming to his uh, end of contract this season so if pep stays i think we would end up signing messi definitely for the next season and it would be honestly great to watch and if you know we also get aguero to stay because his contract also ends this season and you know he and messi together it would be awesome so why not that would be some fireworks in the premier league uh... definitely yeah <laughs> and then even the crowds would uh, come to the stadium by the next oh, yeah. season so yeah. that would be yeah. even better yeah and also financially as uh, as far as the uh, brands and uh, you know the pr is concerned for city it would be a great boost absolutely i think that's a site that uh, not only city fans but everyone across the world of football will be uh, looking forward to uh, thanks thanks navin thanks uh, just a small uh, you know a little thing you mentioned aguero uh, you know we we have seen we have fallen in love with how lethal striker how you know uh, he is but you just mentioned about his contract coming up and with his frequent uh, injuries uh, i know city has sterling and gabriel jesus uh, but anything you know, uh, would be going through pep's mind or the manchester city boardroom's mind as to maybe replacing him or uh, looking at potential players down the line to fill that void yeah so i don't see city signing any costly striker to replace aguero uh, right from the restart in the previous season jesus has been amazing i mean he's kind of playing even a better role than what aguero usually plays he's pressing a bit more and helping the other players a lot along with that scoring goals too so really looking forward to jesus this season and i think city would eventually find someone to partner jesus rather than you know so that that new right. striker can play the role which jesus is currently playing for aguero i think that is what city would be looking at right thanks thanks navin for that so from the blue side of uh, manchester to over to the red side manchester united and uh, sushant uh, welcome to the podcast Hi Sayan how are you I'm good mate thanks uh Sushant uh, now that it's all done and dusted uh United's transfer window uh, it seemed like the entire you know 2 3 months or the entire window was defined by the Jadon Sancho saga um you know now that reports are so being out Jayden? that <laughs> who's Jadon I don't know this player fair enough fair enough uh so you know there are suddenly reports uh, in the last uh, week or so that you know edward would pull the plug on the transfer because it seemed that the enter valuation of jaden sancho would have gone up to maybe 250 to 60 million pounds and not the 120 that everyone uh, was talking about um in in light of that and in the you know havoc transfers that went on on the last day in the last few hours with Uh, Pelestre, Adam Diore, uh, uh, you know, Cavani. Uh, how, how do you how do you see the transfer window? Uh, how was it for United? Was it absolutely a disaster that a lot of people are saying, or do you see some green shoots uh, coming out? Maybe not now, but uh, latter part of the season. So I I think it was mostly a disaster, right? Uh, because if you see all our transfers happened i think except van de beek all of them happened on the last day of the window and for a big club right that that just doesn't sit well with me 
uh, I think it was Sir Alex Ferguson who had once said that uh, a good club, a well-run club, usually is um, sitting back and watching the drama unfold on the last day of the transfer window. And uh, for the past few seasons, I think every season since since he's left, uh, he probably be sitting up and watching our, our drama unfold on TV on the last day of the window, right? Uh, and that doesn't sit well. Uh, there is that just shows that you're poor at planning. Uh, there have been excuses, right? Uh, that uh, the Sancho deal we kept on waiting, we kept on waiting. But I think it was pretty clear since the beginning, after August tenth, that if you didn't pay for even before August and actually even if you didn't pay for the 120 million that Sancho was off uh, was up for Borussia Dortmund were not going to sell they had no reason to sell uh, and that's what they kept repeating and united for some reason thought they were bluffing and at the end of the day united have just bluffed themselves off of the table uh, they keep we we keep hearing that uh, these players were scouted previously cavani was available uh, since i think march april i mean he was available the whole window and we didn't even try to sign him and now it's a likely chance that even we even if we have signed him we don't get to use him in the first game against newcastle right and which is where we need a striker in the premier league in the next three games we need a uh, striker right. and now right. ole is stuck with uh, options like igalo who he clearly doesn't want to use which, which is why we've signed cavani uh, the two youngsters we've signed again uh, we could have completed their signings beforehand i think the main reason we did not complete all these signings previously is we just literally went around uh, hoping we would get sancho and at the end of the day when we didn't get sancho we had that uh, i would say some cash lying around and basis that we've gone ahead in the last one week just spent some money uh, you mentioned that uh, ed woodward pulled the plug on the sancho deal i don't think he pulled the plug he just messed it up and there, he, there was nothing to for him to pull the plug because there was never a a power source to begin with because Borussia had been very clear after August 10th and I have no idea what he was doing there. So yeah, uh, overall a horrible window. Uh, the two youngsters we've signed, they do look promising. Our scouting team, uh, apparently as per reports, are very excited about them and let's see how they go about. But again, uh, we needed a right winger, we needed a centre-back, we needed a, I, w- I preferably felt we needed a defensive midfielder as well. Uh, we filled neither of those three uh, spots and it's uh, neither of those three spots i would say satisfactorily right we, we signed two right wingers but one of them is going to come in jan the other one is still young and will take time to get used to as as much as of what i've seen of him he looks like a tricky player but i don't i think he'll need time to you know get used to the premier league and the physicality aspect of it where he'll probably struggle in the initially so yeah uh, all in all a very bad window right uh, so, Sushant, you mentioned about uh, two important aspects, the centre-back position and then uh, the central defensive uh, area also. Uh, again, you know, United uh, do get linked with a host of players every season. This time around, they were linked with uh, Gabriel, who eventually moved to Arsenal, and then Pupa Meccano, uh, also a promising uh, centre-back. Uh, you, you think those two deals are... You know, if let's say the results go horribly down from now onwards, uh, those still two deals are looking promising for January or maybe next uh, summer transfer window. So, yeah, so I'll start with the centre-back position. I think as per the reports uh, that we do read, uh, United seem to have prioritised the centre-back for next summer, right? Uh, 
which is uh, even more confusing because you prioritized right winger uh, right winger this year and you've clearly not uh, managed to do anything about it so does that mean your priority for next summer is again a right winger and you know you shift the center back or, or how matlab i i really don't have any confidence in the in the current setup uh, that we would achieve to big signings uh, which we really want to unless of course our club finishes outside the top 4 where suddenly our uh, our uh, board wakes up and realizes they have cash to spend so in terms of center back yeah i think all these transfer rumors that you mentioned right dayopmayako uh, i think uh, i believe i was reading we we were also uh, offered uh, tarkowski uh, and yeah so i think upmenko would would be a very tough uh, deal for the club to complete uh, when i say tough i don't mean to say that we shouldn't go for him i think we should absolutely go for him but uh, tough in the sense that our club uh, will have uh, to to challenge some competent clubs in the market right who who know how to do business uh, there were reports that we had uh, we had even tried for uh, upmenko this season itself but we we'd offered money which is even less than his release clause for next year uh, again something that baff- that is baffling uh, there's another center back uh, which even man city had tried to sign uh, from sevilla right uh, who who's really promising as well uh, kulibali becomes available every window napoli tries to sell him but i think because of his price tag he is just not viable right uh, so yeah uh, center back i think uh, we will try i am not even sure who we will get Uh, maybe there is some 18 year old center back that our scouts have seen uh, who will come on the last day of the next window so it's it's very tough uh, uh, speculating on that position right sushant uh, lovely to hear from you uh, and i hope uh, the clear pain in your uh, voice which was pretty evident uh, a little <laughs> bit of it is taken away by those uh, deadline day transfers that we have done and things look uh, up or things look a bit Uh, bright for united uh, in the remaining few months uh, that we have uh. okay uh, thanks uh, sushant for that again um, now moving on from manchester to uh, london and uh, manan uh, welcome to the show yes shayan manan uh, chelsea uh, huge money spent on this transfer window some might say you know they didn't uh, get the chance last season after the ban and etc a few lovely players uh, brought in uh, we got to see a little bit of the chilwell uh, magic on the on the last game your, your general thoughts and opinions on how the market unfolded for chelsea and what can we look forward to So first of all uh, delighted with the transfer window I don't think any Chelsea fan can have any complaints about the business being done by the club uh, we have perfectly I mean I shouldn't say this but we have perfectly exploited the market we have currently uh, and we've addressed key areas that needed refreshing and an injection of quality and to go alongside it we also made a vanity signing in Kai Havertz So I think Roman Abramovich is well and truly back. Uh, we have, ex- like you mentioned, uh, we had a ban last season, and we've excellently used the money generated from uh, player sales for uh, Hazard and Morata and the loan army, of course. So while the pr- primary focus from the media and and the rival fans would be on the two hundred million plus money being spent, 
the actual net spend is very much uh, respectable so i uh, i think it's it's been a fantastic window uh, couldn't have asked for more uh, shan to be very honest okay great uh anand i think uh, you mentioned about kai havertz and uh, timo warner and we are uh, you know four game weeks uh, into the premier league season uh, there is a little mm-hmm. bit of uh, you know uh, whispers and murmurs in the uh, in the social media and everywhere that maybe kai havertz and timo warner are not doing enough uh, on the pitch you know uh, the little uh, trickeries the passes the runs they are all well and good but maybe apart from the hat trick and apart from the first debut goal for warner they haven't done much as should be expected now is that a is that a, a growing case of concern amongst the fans and especially for uh, lampard how, how do you see that a uh, part of the field being addressed and what is the general opinion i think it's a little unfair to be very honest uh, if you look at the first two games starting let me start with timo werner if you look at the first two games uh, he won penalties in both those games yes he should have probably taken his chances better there's always room for improvement uh, for all players that goes out for all players not just him but to say that he hasn't been a success or or you know he should be doing more yes he should be doing more everyone should be doing more but it's we, we let's be honest we are four games into the season so if if anyone is out there making judgments on the basis of four performances i i think you know better reserve them for the end of the season uh, second thing on havertz uh, again if you look at that yes first game against brighton he was a little bit poor uh, liverpool was a di- completely different dynamic he had to be sacrificed after the absolute brain fart of uh, andreas christensen and in the third game and the fourth game i think he was absolutely great not i mean you you can see he assisted hudson odoi for the second goal against west brom and he won the fourth penalty against uh, crystal palace so i think he's doing it his bit obviously it's not easy coming from a different country to settle in to to you know move into a different culture and 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 moving to a leagues as uh, you know probably taking its own toll as premier league so it it's not easy but we are like i said we are four games into the season so i would at least i would reserve my judgments until the end of the season to be very honest great um and manan we talked about this on our last uh, podcast and uh, the back four or the back five of chelsea which was still a long time a pain point for lampard Uh, how do you see that formation you know uh, as pilicueta zuma uh, uh, thiago silva and chilwell starting with mendy uh, in the goal post <clears throat> you see that as the preferred uh, lineup uh, with champions league coming up and the uh, thick of games or do you see there's going to be variations how do, how do you see lampard playing with that back four or five i think that is going to be the standard go to defense in my view uh, the one that we started against crystal palace uh, the one area where we could see, probably see a little bit more rotation would be uh, between uh, asp and uh, reese reese james uh, depending on you know the type of opposition we are facing and and uh, uh, you know the the situation we find ourselves in, in from game to game i think those two will uh, be rotating otherwise i think the back at least the three of the back four and the goalkeeper should remain constant in my view barring of course uh, suspensions and uh, injuries uh, that that should be the way to go because we look quite settled uh, 
I read a very interesting stat somewhere. I think it was in terms of the expected goals for Crystal Palace, which was around 0.13, I believe, which is lowest of the all, all the games that have been played in the Premier League this season. So that shows that there is improvement off the pitch uh, in the training ground. They, 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 the, the boys are working on it. Uh, the, the tactical shape is starting to form, and I think it will only it can only get better from here. So in terms of defense, I'm I'm sort of optimistic that we are on the right track. Right, Pranav. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that uh, lovely talking to you. And it's uh, so good to see Chelsea fans uh, hoping for a good season with all the acquisitions uh, that they have made. So, uh, thanks. Thanks, Pranav. Cheers, man. Moving on from West London to uh, North London now. And uh, KV, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, Shine. What's up? Uh, KV, uh, you know, amazing transfer window. I think everywhere I'm reading, everywhere uh, I'm seeing talk shows and everything, it, they're, they're certainly saying that this is a 9 out of a 10 or an 8 out of a 10 transfer window. And uh, uh, young fans, uh, they, they can't believe the last time there was such an enthusiasm, such energy after the transfer window uh, got done. Uh, you really think this has been almost a perfect transfer window with uh, everything that has uh, gone about uh, Tottenham Hotspurs and uh, what, what do you what do you think uh, will be the road ahead um shine so if you if you told me 3 months earlier that we would have made six uh, six signings and all these guys would slot into the first team more or less you know i would probably be laughing and i would uh, say it's a sham uh, but for me, it's a nine and a half out of ten. You know, this whole transfer window. Uh, it could have been perfect had we gone in for another centre back, which still is possible. Okay, uh, with uh, reports linking us to Joe Rodon. But uh, yeah, I, I think the board has done one hell of a job. You know, um, the situation at Tottenham is uh, completely different than it is at other clubs, um, given the whole uh, expenses that we had towards building the stadium. So um, I think they've assembled a squad. Uh, wherein most of the players are going to be a regular starters. So, we needed a DM at Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, I cannot recall having a proper DM at Tottenham Hotspur over the last 10 years. I mean, you go, you had people like Kapu, uh, Jake Livermore, uh, Sandro. We never had quality in our DMs. Uh, But I think Hoibier is going to uh, change that. He already has. I mean, in the last few games that you see, he, he you can exactly see what he's bringing, and that's a very very shrewd uh, recruitment policy from Spurs. Um, uh, two flying fullbacks. Uh, I like the word flying uh, fullbacks. You know, I think because uh, they're going to change the way Tottenham Hotspur are going to play football under Jose Mourinho um, with Reguilon and Doherty. Uh, they are going to you know thrust forward and sort of uh, you know with Fabier. Probably, you know, uh, helping out the centre backs and uh, showing up the defence. Um, so, and and let to be very honest, I think all the signings under fifty million is one hell of a transfer. I know we haven't spent big, but we uh, strengthened the areas that actually needed, uh, you know, some reinforcement. Um, yeah, Gareth Bale is like a dream. It's it's like a cherry on top of a cake. But uh, I, I'm not even thinking of what. Uh, what is the possibility that if he starts uh, hitting, you know, the form that we've seen at Real Madrid, um, we finally got a striker. I think uh, after uh, you know 
so many transfer sagas i think uh he's not a proven striker he's had one good season in the portuguese league it gives me vibes of the yansen transfer to be very very honest um so i wasn't really keen uh for me he wasn't my first choice striker but um i i i think uh we've got the jury is still out i think uh, he's he's got to be given chances but uh, i really hope that uh, you know he turns out at least half decent of what kane is and we have one hell of a backup striker in our ranks right uh kv one aspect of uh, tottenham hotspurs over the years has been uh, you know dealing uh, with uh, daniel levy uh, it it's been out in the open managers have been talking about it agents that it's it's very tough to do business with levy he he doesn't uh, back down uh, he's a hard negotiator he it sort of takes a lot of time to open his pockets uh, given uh, the new stadium and uh, everything that has happened uh, what do you think was the point of difference in this transfer market that suddenly the gates opened and so many uh, good players coming in was it the mourinho effect or uh, do, you, do you think it it's something else that uh, is going on at spurs um yeah i mean so uh, the first thing that you would your attention goes to is going to be the man mourinho himself right so people will be quick uh, to say it's, it's the mourinho effect and it is to a certain extent but i don't think that is the sole reason um i, I believe that daniel levy he's a smart chap man he he's well educated he has actually i believe has realized the potential and uh, you know it, it it took spurs a lot of time uh, you know to build that uh, momentum and try to reach the champions league final uh, and it all went away in a season it's just like a flash and uh, he i think has uh, seen the vulnerability that if at all the squad is not strengthened uh, there are high chances that we might slip out of top 6 okay and uh, with the way that the other teams are uh, sort of competing it's very very uh, difficult to sort of get back into it i mean you see what what has happened with a club like manchester united right so if something can happen uh to a club like united i'm sure it can happen to uh, any other club so i think he was uh, sort of he must have uh, realized this uh, particular danger and i mean full credit to him uh, he he i think it, it was so weird to see spurs fans chilling on a deadline day because that's never the way that we have done our business so i think he he did extremely well to get the signings uh, done well and early uh, and have them integrated into the first team So yeah I think uh fair play to him uh, he sensed the danger and you know um uh, the the teams got levied so if I hadn't put it in that way all right right um so before we uh, leave you KV uh, this is the season this is the season to do it all uh, what, what what do you what do you reckon what's the general mood amongst the fans um trophy i mean i think i think uh, we are we've been starving for a, a trophy uh, so trophy and drop four i think that people are more than uh, uh, more optimistic now than ever and it, you can see that of the players as well i think the mood in the dressing room has changed so uh, people actually want to win trophies with tottenham hotspur and uh, that's all we can hope for i'm not going to say more than that Thanks thanks KV uh thanks a lot for that 
uh, it will be very interesting. I am personally looking forward to Bale on the pitch and that famous uh, left foot of his from either the right side or the left side. Uh, yeah. So that will be a thing to watch in the. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, moving on, uh, Supreet, uh, we'll shift our focus to Arsenal. And uh, wow, that uh, deadline day acquisition of Thomas Party. Uh, uh, where did that come from? Uh, I'm sure you, uh, Arsenal fans, you uh, weren't expecting that or maybe deep down you were. But uh, just give a little bit of insight into what actually happened and uh, uh, what kind of an acquisition is Thomas Partey going to be? Hey, Shine, Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, I've been lead- reading a few uh, articles on uh, the Thomas Partey transfer and how, how and why Arsenal left it to the very last minute. Um, apparently, there have been negotiations going on to, uh, throughout the transfer window with Atletico. Um, and Atletico uh, have mostly rebuffed all our offers. But apparently, there was a transfer clause uh, or a release clause in Thomas Partey's contract, uh, which meant uh, if Arsenal triggered it, they've uh, as good as signed the player and that, that fee was $45 million. Apparently, Arsenal did not contact Atletico or did not give them a warning beforehand and simply approached La Liga about an hour before the deadline, uh, you know, uh, before the transfer window sh- got shut, which I think was a masterstroke. It kind of took Atletico by shock, which is why they are kind of pissed off with Arsenal right now uh, because they really didn't see that coming. Uh, so, and I'm quite pleased that, you know, we've, we're finally doing these, um, I wouldn't call it underhanded, but we're pulling off these stunning moves in the transfer market uh, rather than just, uh, you know, panicking and, you know, signing players on... Uh, you know, who, who we don't really have a long-term future for. So, I'm actually pleased with how the party transfer went. It kind of shows that we we, we have the ability to be ruthless in the market. Um, and we've got a player who I feel, uh, if, 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 if he clicks, I think he'll be a very important player for the club. Uh, a, defensive mid, a defensive midfielder, but uh, he can play at, in, in an attacking position as well. Um, he is... Uh, molded well, he's, he has been molded well by Diego Simeone. He's very disciplined. Uh, he knows his role in the team. Uh, he's been do, do, he's played over 180 games for Atletico. So I think overall a very good transfer. Uh, and and I'm actually pleased on how Arsenal ruthlessly completed the transfer. You know, just at, at the very last minute and took uh, Atletico completely by surprise. Right. Um... Moving on from a little bit of central midfield to a little uh, up ahead in the field, uh, Mesut Ozil. Uh, he has just not been named in the Europa League squad by uh, Arteta. What What is happening uh, with Ozil? And uh, with that in context, uh, should Arsenal be looking at reinforcements in the uh, winter transfer or the January transfer window? What, what's your general opinion on that? The relationship between Ozil and the club has completely broken down. I think that's quite evident for everyone to see. Um, even with, even even after, uh, I, mean, I mean, the latest tweet from Ozil where he says, you know, he's going to foot the salary of Gunasaurus. And it just kind of says, you know, there's, 
I, I don't see a way for uh, Ozil back into the squad. I thought he'll at least play the Carabao Cup games, but he hasn't even featured on the bench for the games against Leicester and Liverpool. Um, he's out of the Europa League squad. I honestly don't see him, uh, you know, making a way into the Premier League setup. I think Arsenal are just waiting for this contract uh, to run out towards the end of the season. It, it's just sad how things have unfolded. Uh, because when Arteta came in, Ozil did did play a few games. In fact, just before the lockdown, he assisted Lacazette in a one 0 win over West Ham last season. Um, and then uh, he did he, after the uh, you know the entire COVID situation. Uh, he was one player who refused to take a pay cut um, because he wasn't apparently from his side. He wasn't very clear on how that is going to help uh, and whatever. And also there's also the situation where he. He uh, posted about, uh, you know, the Uyghur Muslims and that kind of became a political post and Arsenal didn't want to comment on it. I mean, all of these have just boiled down to um, Arsenal not actually wanting to um, include him in these squads. Uh, also, I, I, I don't think Mikel Arteta sees a long-term future for Ozil. Uh, he wants players who are uh, more direct, who are willing to put themselves on the line and I think Jaka, Ceballos, uh, Party. Uh, I mean, these are the midfielders that I think seem more suited to Arteta's style. I would honestly like to see Ozil play in because we really need a creative midfielder. But I don't see, I, I don't know how much is left in his engine, honestly. Uh, he's not played competitive football for over six months, I think, now. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's just sad to see one of Arsenal's biggest transfers in the decade just fading away into nothingness. Do we need reinforcements in the winter transfer window? Too early to say. Um, uh, I think the biggest, um, I, I think the best uh, deal of the transfer window was us signing Aubameyang on a, on a you know, basically getting him to extend his contract. Uh, I think it's too early to say how things are going to pan out. Uh, I, I think Thomas Partey is, uh, is going to eventually start most of the games alongside uh, Xhaka. It'll be interesting to see how the you know the next few months pan out. I, I honestly don't see us signing any more players in the winter transfer window. In fact, we need to shed and get get rid of a few players at least in the defense because that's where we you know have um, some. Actually, we need some load shedding where you know we need to get rid of Socrates, um, Kolasinac, Mustafi, uh, probably Chambers, right? Um, yeah, so honestly, I don't see any transfer window uh, action in uh, in Jan. Right. Uh, you mentioned about uh, Aubameyang, uh, Supreet, and that was obviously a very uh, important uh, part of uh, Arsenal's activity uh, in the transfer market. But the other part, I think, was the uh, defensive acquisition of uh, Gabriel, which was also uh, an important uh, part that Arsenal were looking forward to. Uh, how do you think he has uh, shaped up in the very few games uh, that he has played? I have been very uh, impressed with him. And the other player that I want to get your personal opinion on is Bukayo Saka. I la- absolutely love that guy. I think he's going to be a star for the future. Uh, yeah, I'd like to know your thoughts on these two players. Gabriel has definitely fit, uh, you know, adjusted very well to life in the Premier League. He's a solid ball-playing centre-back, uh, tall, uh, uncompromising. And I think that's what we needed, uh, a good, solid central defender. I think he's going to add a lot of steel at the back. 
but around him, apart from Kieran Tierney, I'm not sure if we have any other reliable defenders. Um, Rob Holding has been playing, uh, but he can get caught out against pacier forwards like Mane. Uh, David Lewis, you know, um, has a stinker um, that he can pull out uh, at any time. Apart from that, our other centre-back options are obviously um, Mustafi. Um, I, I don't know if he's going to start a lot of games as Socrates, uh, who also I think uh, Arsenal is just waiting for his contract to run out. Um, Kolasinac, who we wanted to uh, get rid of, but couldn't, is there. Uh, he's going to probably be only a, be a backup to Tierney. Apart from that, there's Chambers, who's currently injured. We've gotten, we've, we've signed Pablo Mari on a um, long-term deal. Uh, we paid seven million to Flamengo for his services. He's injured, uh, and then there is uh, Saliba, a young centre back who we paid twenty-seven million for. Uh, he's another uh, player who I think will uh, have a has a long-term future at the club, but I think this season he's not going to be playing a lot. And then there is uh, the right back Cedric and uh, Belrin. So, I mean, we've got like a ton of defenders out of which only like two or three are, you know, reliable. Uh, so, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that we signed Gabriel. I think he's going to start most of our games uh, this season. Um, coming to Bukayo Saka, uh, obviously, uh, he was one of the best young players in the league last season. I'm really impressed how, with how uh, he's taken uh, this opportunity uh, and you know, just proved that he he can play at at, at top level. Uh, I think he has a big future ahead of him. But if you've seen the last couple of games, he's he's drifted in and out. Uh, I think that's kind of understandable for such a young player. Uh, but yeah, I think he has, he's got a big future ahead of him. I hope Arsenal secure him on a long term contract. Um, obviously, not throw around uh, obscene amounts of money here because he needs to be level headed. Um, and also Maitland Niles alongside him, two young players who I think, um, if Arsenal can secure their futures, have 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 you know big careers ahead of them. Right, Supreet. Uh, thanks a lot. Uh, thanks a lot for your time. Uh, we'll we'll come back to you in the later part of the uh, episode. Um, okay, then that brings us to an end of the transfer uh, market or the transfer activity that uh, went on in this season. We'll shift our focus, as we had promised, to Europe and uh, first of all uh, with the Champions League. Um, I'd like to bring back Obro, uh, Sushant, uh, Naveen uh, and Manan. Uh, guys, uh, the draws have been made uh, and uh, you know the first uh, set of games are due to start around the 20th-21st of uh, this month. Uh, Obro, uh, looking at uh, Liverpool's uh, Group D, looks like a pretty interesting group with Ajax, uh, Atlanta and Milan. Uh, what are your uh, hopes and aspirations as a Liverpool fan from uh, that group and in general about the Champions League? Yeah, so yeah, it should be goals galore with the teams that we have. Yeah, especially with Atlanta and Ajax. But then it should not be a problem from a Liverpool standpoint, right? So, you know, uh, I think Ajax, uh, after after their heroics a couple of seasons back, they have lost most of their players, right? So, most of the players have moved on. I think that, that has been their model, right? Developing young players and then moving them on into the more, more uh, wealthier clubs of Europe. I won't say more famous clubs of Europe. Yeah, yeah so I think... Uh, 
at Atlanta, they have been playing brilliantly, absolutely brilliantly over the last couple of seasons. So it should be interesting. But yeah, from a Liverpool perspective, I think it should be all quite all right. I mean, we should not uh, you know, face uh, or we should not struggle at least, you know, to get through the uh, get through to the next stage. Any any interesting matches uh, to look forward to? I know everyone's uh, gung ho about the Liverpool Ajax one, especially because of uh, the you know style of play. But do you think Atlanta can spring a surprise given how they did uh, last season and how would a Liverpool Atlanta game uh, you know be for a neutral supporter? Yes, yeah, I think personally the Atlanta game would be much more difficult or interesting uh, you know, for Liverpool and for the other supporter as, supporters as well because they are quite a strong team as as compared to Ajax, right? So, so you know, I think that will be a more interesting match to look forward to than the Ajax match. Uh, though Ajax definitely, you know, uh, they have a you know an unending. Uh, source of new talents coming up, right? So you might, you might never know. You might discover a few new, uh, you know, get, discover a few new names uh, coming up uh, for this season in the Champions League. They might spring a surprise, but uh, at the current stage, I think Atlanta would be a more difficult opponent uh, for Liverpool. Right. Uh, thanks, Abro. Uh, Manan, uh, Chelsea uh, Group E. Seems like a pretty straightforward uh, group and the dynamics surrounding it. Uh, what are your What are your opinions? I think apart from Sevilla, it looks like it's going to be a, a walkthrough for uh, Chelsea. Uh, yeah, I mean, personally, I'm I'm, I'm delighted. Uh, we got away with one because we could just as easily have drawn uh, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, or PSG. So, yeah, uh, definitely we have a relatively easier group. I mean, obviously, we have to give all due respect to Sevilla. They're a wonderful side, although they've lost a couple of key players. But uh, if, uh, you know, I'll be extremely disappointed if we don't top this group, uh, to be very honest with you. Uh, we've got a good, good, uh, I mean, the Champions League gods have been with us and we should utilize that to the maximum. Right. And uh, from a Chelsea standpoint, we discussed about all the transfers and all the money being spent. What would be a general consensus amongst the fans and within the team also about the progress this season? Uh, what, what are you guys uh, looking forward to? Uh, speaking purely from a Champions League uh, standpoint, I would say considering the group we have and um, the fixtures that are there, I would say at least a quarterfinal should be a bare minimum. Uh, reason being, obviously, while the focus is on us signing five, six, seven players, it's not always easy to you know gel them and and get them uh, you know fire, uh, firing on all cylinders right away. So it takes its own time. You have to respect that. But that being said, uh, anything less than a, a probably a quarterfinal in the Champions League would be sort of an underachievement for uh, Frank Lampard and Chelsea. Right. Good to have your thoughts, uh, Manan. Okay. Uh, so we'll shift our focus to uh, the Group C, and uh, Manchester City has been paired against Porto, Olympiacos, uh, and uh, Marseille in that group. In on paper. It looks like a pretty decent group, but uh, Naveen, I believe there would be some interesting matches, especially with, I think, Porto, 
and the Marseille. Here are your thoughts on the Champions League grouping and what uh, is the general expectations and the hopes amongst the Manchester City fans this year around? So, I mean, it has been a pattern since the last few seasons that we get relatively easier group matches. I see the same happening even this season. But uh, I personally don't have a lot of confidence how far City will go this season because no matter how good form they are in, they eventually falter in some of the knockout matches. So, I don't really have my hopes. And considering this is a, uh, you know, a crowded season in terms of the matches because it started late and all. So, I don't have very high hopes. I would take one game at a time, honestly, in uh, case of City. But I'm glad United is a tough That that was coming, right? (laughs) That was coming. So, uh, Naveen, you know, Pep Guardiola with everything that he's done, even for City and, uh, you know, when he was brought in, uh, the major part of his recruitment was uh, so that, you know, City win the uh, Champions League at some point. And, you know, as you said, they have come close, but they haven't done it. So, in case they again fail to do it, uh, so, you know, Will Pep's reign at City be called a failure or uh, how, how will he be judged at City? No, no, it won't be called a failure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Champions League is something we are looking forward to since many, many years. But definitely not failure because he's won us two Premier Leagues till now and also the quarter of it. So, yeah, I mean, he has probably changed the way City play football. And he has kind of built a nice team too with some of the younger players. Uh, bought in recently so and if Messi comes in definitely that would take City to another level so definitely not failure but Champions League would be like a complete thing for us for sure thanks a lot Naveen uh, it's it's lovely talking to you and hearing your inputs uh, about uh, uh, Manchester City uh, we move on to group H uh, Sushant uh, Manchester United uh, up against Paris Saint-Germain, Leipzig, and Istanbul Besiktas. Uh, how, how do how do you think, given everything that has happened, United back into the Champions League after a long time? Uh, how, how do you see this group uh, panning out, and what are what should be the realistic expectations from Manchester United fans? I think the realistic expectation is that uh, come February, I won't be talking in the Champions League uh, discussion. I'll be speaking with. Uh, Supreet and KV in the Europa League discussions. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a tough group. I guess we can call it the group of death uh, that uh, that is there, right? Uh, the PSG game would be very interesting, uh, especially considering now that we've got Cavani as well. So, there's a little bit of added history there. Plus, uh, two seasons back when uh, Ole uh, managed to, you know, earn his job literally uh, with the win against uh, PSG, right? Uh, I, I mean, it could be ironic that uh, the two games against PSG could eventually lead to his sacking this time as well, considering everything that's going around uh, right now, right? So, so yeah, the realistic expectation would be that uh, we somehow finish second. Uh, that, that would be a hope, not a expectation, I think, because I, I think PSG will top the group. Uh, United uh, would, uh, would be fighting with Leipzig for second. 
uh, it's it we we'll have to wait and see how how have uh, leipzig recovered from you know losing uh, timo werner uh, maybe topomanko uh, does well and we then regret signing him uh, not signing him or we are pushed into signing him early i would hope for the second uh, option but yeah my realist my expectation is europa league uh, i'm and i'm still hoping we can somehow snatch second uh, current form dictates we can't i think that's that's a pretty brutal and honest opinion about how the state of affairs is with the club and how the team is performing in on the pitch uh, right now um thanks ushan uh, we will just jump into the europa league now with uh, tottenham hotspur and arsenal both uh, in the europa league this time around uh, supreet uh, i'll come to you first group b Arsenal uh, playing against uh, Molde, Dundalk, and Rapid Vien. Uh, general uh, consensus on the uh, group, how how you have been paired, and what to look forward to. Honestly, nothing to look forward to. I just uh, hope we get all the eighteen points because anything less than that means we've underperformed. Seems to be seems to me like we've gotten a very easy group. Even if we play a B team, I feel. Uh, i i think we should still qualify from the group if not get 18 points right i don't think there's any excuse if we don't qualify to the knockout phase right uh, the the current team supreet with uh, you know all the new acquisitions and how arteta has uh, changed or trying to change the structure and how how arsenal play uh you think uh, the this team is uh, ready for uh, europe or the europa league uh and what what is the uh, honest expectations from arteta when it comes to europe and arsenal i think the team definitely has it uh, in them to win the europa league we came close rather we came close by going to the final in 2018 and then getting beaten by chelsea um sorry that is 2019 uh and last season we just crashed out uh, after i think i think we lost um, to olympiakos if i'm correct right uh so yeah we I, i think we have the squad to go into the i mean progress well into the later stages of the europa league but i think the focus for arteta right now is to finish in a top four position i think that's always going to be top priority for this season uh, europa league on uh, win on the way would be great but we want i wouldn't pin a lot of hopes on it um given that the squad needs to remain fresh in order to compete in the premier league and uh, just an important uh, aspect if you know arteta does deliver the goods this time around and arsenal goes on to win the uh, europa will this uh, amongst arsenal fans be considered an even bigger result than the 0304 invincibles uh, feat not at all i don't think there's anything that can top that uh, unless uh, arteta can win us the champions league in the next few seasons i don't i don't see any other event uh, actually topping uh, you know winning the uh, premier league unbeaten right um, right yeah right thanks thanks supreet uh, kv uh, we'll we'll come to uh, spurs now and uh, group j Tottenham against uh, Ludogorets, Lask, and Royal Antwerp. Uh, how, how do you how do you see the group, and how do you see Spurs' chances uh, in in the group? 
Um, Shan, two things. First, uh, the team names are not uh, like Wi-Fi passwords anymore. And we don't have to play a single round uh, uh, in order to you know qualify. Uh, uh, but I think, you know, uh, we still have to travel to Bulgaria and Austria. Um, looking at the kind of squad that we have, we have, uh, you know, two full squads that can compete in any of the competitions. So given that, I don't think uh, qualifying should be an issue. In fact, we've got to top the group and uh, move on to the later stages. Um, but as you can see, there is a lot of uh, talk uh, among all football fans that you know uh, Spurs are genuine, um, you know, challenges for the Europa League. Uh, you know, with I think the big teams, if you consider, we have Roma, Napoli, AC Milan. I know they barely uh, scraped through the qualification round, but uh, they still are considered to be one of the big guns. Um, we have Roma. Uh, I mean, we have uh, Bayer Leverkusen and Arsenal. So I think these are going to be the big guns. Uh, and uh, there is a genuine belief that uh, Spurs can actually go through and go all the way. However, uh, you know, just slightly drifting focus uh, from the Europa League. But I, I, the man that Mourinho is, uh, you know, I think he's got his eyes on Carabao Cup. And why not? Uh, we play a quarterfinal against Stoke. Um, uh, then a possible semi-final against Brentford or Newcastle. And then a final. Uh, so for me, the most likely... Uh, um, chance of winning a trophy is the Carabao Cup, given the kind of draw that we had. It, it played in our favours. But yeah, not not taking anything away from the uh, prospect of winning the Europa League. Uh, I know, I know, it, it's a bit weird for Spurs to talk about Europa League, given that you know we've been consistent in Champions League over the last couple of seasons. Uh, but again, uh, a trophy is trophy. Mourinho has won it in the past. Uh, you know, we have Sergio Reguilón who has won it in the past. So. Uh, there are people who know uh, what it takes to win. And I think this is the best chance in years that Spurs have in order to win a trophy. Absolutely. Uh, I think the kind of transfers that you have done, and as you mentioned, the squad taking shape, I think this is uh, by far a pretty uh, optimistic season for uh, Spurs to go on and win uh, a trophy. Uh, just on that note, uh, KV, uh, Mourinho and with everything that he's done in Europe and the pedigree that he brings on, uh, will uh, Daniel Levy back him even if he doesn't win anything by the end of the season? Or uh, you think his job will be on the line uh, if something of that sort happens? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I really don't think his job will be on the line if he doesn't win it. Uh, but uh, his job will definitely be on the line if you don't finish top four. Okay, I think uh, the amount of backing that he has received is uh, far more than uh, satisfactory. And this should warrant a place uh, in the Champions League next year. Uh, it doesn't matter how it comes. It can be from a top four or by winning the uh, Europa. But uh, yeah, I, th I think Mourinho uh, will definitely have the backing of Daniel Levy. Uh, better than how what he did at uh, Chelsea and United in the past, um, that's for sure. But at the same time, uh, the expectation is uh, riding high given the uh, stardom that he brings. Right? I think at some point you can probably uh, blame it on Mourinho that you know he sorts of uh, rises the expectations, uh, raises the expectations too high. Uh, but yes, I think uh, there is pressure on him uh, certainly to deliver. There is pressure on people. Uh, on the players, in fact, uh, to deliver because uh, 
you know, in order to make sure that we retain the top talent in the likes of Kane, Son, Loris for that matter, I think it's time for the club to uh, win some silverware and, uh, uh, you know, the kind of leaders that he's brought in in the transfer market. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's definitely going to become a, a challenging task for him to stay with the club if these objectives are not met. Thanks. Thanks, KV. Thanks a lot for all those uh, insights uh, about Mourinho and Spurs. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I think all, all football fans are going to be looking forward to how Spurs uh, do this season. Right. Um, we'll, we'll move on uh, in, in our show. And from Europe, we'll come back to the Premier League. And uh, we have been, uh, you know, sort of discussing about this team amongst ourselves for quite some time now. And I'll, I'll uh, bring in Obro and Supreet uh, to discuss a little bit. Uh, Obro, starting with you, uh, Everton, uh, Merseyside rivals to Liverpool, uh, playing in the shadow uh, ever since I have uh, started uh, watching football, maybe even you have. And such a remarkable start to the season. Uh, what, what has impressed you the most about uh, this team? And uh, what, what do you see uh, the changes and uh, what Ancelotti has uh, done to the team? Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, from a, first of all, from a neutral standpoint, it is always good to see new teams coming up. Right in the league and the league being much more competitive. We have seen Leicester coming up and then you know, there have been other teams as well. So, from that perspective, it is obviously great uh, you know, a new team is coming up. Uh, so, Everton has, if you, if you if you look at the last couple of seasons as well, Everton has spent uh, quite a lot of money to get a lot of players. Right? And, not, and not that the problem that has been, it has been quite erratic. It, they have just spent without having a proper game plan or what they want to do, what is their system, how they want to move forward. Right. So I think the best bit of business they did was to get Ancelotti on board, right? I mean having a having a world class manager like him who has been successful at the highest level both as a player and and, and more so as a manager with the with the biggest of clubs around the world. He has I think won the league in four uh, four different uh, you know leagues uh, across the world. I mean, in, in the top in the four major top leagues, right. and also won the Champions League. So he does bring in the pedigree, and uh, you know, so he clearly comes in with a plan of action, the football that he wanted to play, the players that he needed, and if you look at the transfer window, more than the players that were came in, so there was a lot of deadweight that was moved out, right? Players like uh, Schneider Lane. Even a lot of players have moved out, right? So which which frees up the wage wage will for them, right? And especially and also it's that Ancelotti power or the attraction that has brought in players like Allen from Nap- Napoli and Amish Rodriguez, right? And uh, Rodriguez, uh, you know, with him not getting his due at Real Madrid, he was hungry to prove that he is still a world class player and he can make a difference, which clearly he is, right? We can we can see. That on the pitch that he is giving it, giving his everything, right, uh, yeah, to to prove it, to prove his doubt is wrong, and also you know it has reinvigorated the other players. Bringing in Dokore was an excellent piece of business uh, for them, who is bringing that steel and the, also the creativity in the midfield. Uh, also, you know, it it kind of revitalized the other players in the team, like Richarlison, 
has always been that street uh, you know that street finder uh, street fighter kind of a player but now having uh, calvert lewin with him he you know they is like the two to tango there and along with with hamish at the back providing all the assists they are they are doing extremely well so their only susceptible point right now is their goalkeeper so before there is just one So there's always a mistake hanging there with Pickford with all the disasters that he has done in the last couple of years. No surprise that they had not, uh, they did not go for another goalkeeper. With uh, especially with the situation of uh, of Sergio Romero at United, right? They they could have definitely gone for him. So I think Ancelotti, Pickford is in borrowed time, and probably you know if it uh, does uh, commit a one or two other mistakes, which directly leads to a goal or something like that. they will definitely go for a new keeper either in the jan uh, you know uh, january window if not uh, the next summer right over i think uh, deadline day they everton got hold of uh, swedish uh, keeper robin olsen on a season long loan so uh, i mean given that uh, and to add to everything that you said i think everton's really looking like the uh, you know real deal uh, this time around yeah 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 they are looking quite strong right so abro uh, everton with uh, how you know they are playing or rather how they have played and the midfield being so strong you, you think uh, it's it's a serious title contention for uh, everton in 2021 or you know this is after maybe 30 odd games or 38 odd games uh, this is all going to go away yeah so you know i uh, being a title contender i don't think uh, it's my honest opinion i don't think everton will be able to sustain it over the period but they are definitely top four contenders right definitely top six and top four contenders also depending on how the other clubs perform in the leicester season uh, leicester how however good leicester were all the other clubs uh, you know they did not do quite that well right so which kind of helped uh, leicester move on uh, right and, and and win the league but in this season, and here at least the other clubs i mean chelsea with with all the reinforcement liverpool the team that they are uh, you know even with spurs uh, you know having such a wonderful business arsenal with arteta you know coming in uh, and not talk about united <laughs> okay so Yeah, so I think it will not be walk in the park for Everton, but they definitely can be top four contenders. Thanks, thanks, Obro, uh, for for that. Uh, I think Premier League will be definitely uh, rooting for Everton to go the distance and maybe a repeat of uh, 2016's or uh, some similar kind of a feat as was done by uh, Leicester, uh, which will be a remarkable thing, I think, for all uh, neutral fans. Yeah. Yes. uh talking about lester and uh, we'll will move on to manan uh manan uh, lester uh, have have you been impressed with uh, brendan rogers it sort of uh, has been a you know stop start kind of season till now some good football some odd results here and there uh, what what can we expect from uh, brendan rogers and uh, lester this time Uh, so for sure uh, to answer your question yes uh, it's it's and and it's fairly obvious that when i say that uh, brendan rogers deserves all the credit for turning um, leicester into an exciting young side uh, very well capable of challenging for the champions league spots uh, 
Claude Puel massively underachieved with the squad that he had. Uh, Leicester were languishing in 12th when, when Rodgers took over uh, in, in February 2019, I believe. So, for, uh, I think I think it's, it's a wonderful achievement that uh, Rodgers has taken Leicester so far in, in such a short period of time. When we talk about what can we expect, I think more of uh, good football, more results in, in uh, of encouraging nature for, for the Foxes fans. Obviously, uh, City uh, result would top that. So, I think uh, Rodgers has done a, f- a fantastic job so far and I'm sure he'll continue to do that uh, in, in uh, throughout the course of the season. Right, Manan. Uh, the other aspect that, you know, maybe just you can throw your light on it and Jamie Vardy and uh, Leicester. Uh, so, it, it seems like, you know, Leicester is all about Jamie Vardy. It, it it was just like that in 2016 when they won the league with all his buckets of goals. This time around as well. So is is there a general norm that Leicester is about Jamie Vardy? And if not, then what are the maybe alternate options that uh, Brendan Rodgers can fall back upon for Leicester to move ahead? I think that's a very interesting point that you bring, Shayan, because uh, to, I, I do believe that Leicester are just a teeny bit over-reliant on Jamie Vardy. Uh, last time as well, uh, he was Premier League's leading goal scorer than, and one of the, probably the biggest reason why Leicester finished where they finished. So, to take that next step, I think they have to reduce this reliance on Vardy. Uh, they have got uh, Telechi Hionacho, who is not sort of... Uh, Fired on all cylinders when given the chance. He's been a decent backup, you can say. Their, the overall team is is actually very good. But the fact that Wadi scores at such an alarming rate, most of the focus take, is, is taken away from them. So, when you look at that mid- midfield, you have got uh, uh, Harvey Barnes, who is, who is a really good uh, up-and-coming midfielder. Uh, you have Ayose Perez with buckets loads of Premier League experience with Newcastle and now with Leicester. And and then you've got uh, Yuri Tillemans, who's, who's one of the most sorted after uh, midfielders in Europe, not not two, not more than two years back, I believe. So they've got a very good combination of uh, player profiles at the club. But the fact that Body, like I said, you know, scores so much of, of the of the team's goals that you know it's it sort of the f- whole focus is is on that man. And and for Rogers and Leicester to make that next step. I think that is where you know they have to rely reduce the amount of dependency that is on Vardy. Yeah, so that that's why I, I believe uh, we stand or rather Leicester would stand at this point in time. Right, Panna. And uh, just to finish it off, uh, you you think uh, Leicester will be able to break into the top four? I mean, they were tantalizingly close last season after. Uh, a long time uh, and they, I think, bucked, buckled under pressure in the last after the restart uh, post-lockdown. You, you think this team uh, with Brendan Rodgers can uh, make it uh, this time around? Uh, realistically, no. I think uh, what would be a successful season for them is uh, to be there and thereabouts where they finished last season, which is around 5th or 6th. Uh, the reason being, Arsenal had Unai Emery. Let's not beat around the bush. Uh, Tottenham had their worst start to the season under Mauricio Pochettino. So, both had their probably one of the worst seasons in recent memory. And they'll be surely be back. We already talked about how Mourinho has turned around the fortunes of Tottenham and how Arteta is building a very competitive and very solid side. So, I think 
you've got to respect that fact and uh, you know you also have to keep in mind that Leicester sort tailed off massively at the turn of the new year so since january they've probably been very very mediocre so you've got to take that into account as well because to challenge for a top four spot you have to be at least consistent throughout you you have to got to be getting results at a regular intervals so when we say top four challenge i don't think so i don't think they'll be challenging for a champions league spot their best route probably is if they can you know uh, do a mini miracle and win the europa league which again i don't think that will happen but yeah to answer your question top 4 i don't think so thank you manan thanks a lot everyone uh, it was as always a pleasure talking to each uh, one of you well uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, special episode i hope uh, you guys enjoyed it the premier league is uh, back again this weekend after the international break so lots to look forward to and uh, we are certainly very excited about it i hope uh, you guys are enjoying the 6 yards podcast uh, hit us up on our social media channels instagram twitter at the 6 yards pod do leave your comments banter suggestions and it would be lovely connecting with uh, all of you till then stay safe wear a mask and watch lots of football goodbye